Hello and welcome to the Super Givers Podcast, where we celebrate ordinary people creating extraordinary impact in the world. I'm your host, Jesse Johnson, personal revolution coach, partner, father, and aspiring super giver. This week, my guest is Jessica Williams. She's a coach, consultant, podcaster, and the creator of the Superwoman Summit. Jessica's mission is to put women into positions of power around the world, and she's about as committed to her mission as anyone I've ever met. If you're a woman with a fire brewing inside, this is the interview for you. Today, Jessica and I also dive into the dilemma of the modern man and how he might fit into a world with empowered women. Well, Jessica, thanks for agreeing to have this conversation with me and welcome. Thank you. Just for a little orientation for my listeners, I'd love to know whatever feels most important to you to share about who you are and perhaps why you're here at this point in your life. Mm. Oh, wow. That's a big question. Um, so I'll, I'll give you a, a simple answer that we can build off of. Um, you know, who am I? I guess um, I'm just like, I <laughs> just trying to do good in the world, you know, and I come from very humble beginnings in a blue collar family um, in rural North Carolina. And I live in Seattle, Washington now, and I've been on the West Coast for 15 years. Um, I've been running my own business for two years now um, and officially as the Superwoman Project for a little over a year. And um, but I've been building community and doing a lot in communications and business for the last 15 years. Um, a master's degree in marketing. I'm a certified yoga instructor, a certified life coach. Um, and I do a lot. Of, I do a lot of things. I'm a convener and a connector. And um, like you said, a do-gooder. So mm. it will be a better place with women in power. And research has shown time and time again, that if you empower one woman, you empower everyone around her because she will lift her community up as she rises up and feels more empowered in her work or her education or in her community. And so I feel like we can solve big problems like climate change, poverty, famine, and violence, um, all of these huge things that need really creative solutions that aren't getting solved right now, if we can bring women into the conversations where these these solutions are happening, you know, at the highest levels of government and business. Hmm. When did this illuminate itself for you in your hmm. life? Um, it, it's been a calling for me, I think my entire life. I, when I was young, I had, um, I had a desire to do something really special and I felt different from everybody. I never felt like I quite belonged. And on my journey, I, um, I took a lot of different paths, tried a lot of different things, um, figured out what I liked, what I didn't like, and everything kind of kept pointing me in this direction so much so that I had these kind of visions about a decade ago that, this all had to mean something. And for me, it meant serving and helping women. And so for the last 10 years, I have been educating myself, um, researching and connecting and learning and dedicating all of my, my education, um, my money, my resources, my time, um, the, what I worked on in my career 
towards advancing women in leadership. And um, we can dive into how that kind of unfolded. But um, it's just, it's really been a calling. Like, I feel like I've been pulled in this direction, not pushed. It's just like, something's pulling me. And, um, you know, whereas most people invest in travel, or they invest in um, having children, or they invest in, you know, beautiful furniture for their home. I've invested all of my money and resources in myself and educating myself and bettering myself so that I can help other women. Yeah. And I love that because that's a huge theme, as you can imagine, in the guests that I speak with. And I'm sure in the guests that you you have on your show too, that there's a, there's a pull element to the calling mm-hmm. rather than a push or some sort of outside force. And what I find myself being curious about, which you just perhaps began to answer is how did you listen? Mm. What made you Mm -hmm. listen rather than just suppress or ignore or be overwhelmed, which so many of us do, right? Oh man, that's a great question. What made me listen? I, I just, I've been curious by nature since I was young. Um, and I, I've been using that sense of curiosity to guide me through the world since I would say day one. Um, you know, and I, I, I attribute a lot of that to my father who, um, he, he, he taught me how to be curious about the world, um, spiritually and intellectually. Um, and he never went to college. He worked his way up as a carpenter, um, and worked at the same company for 30 years. And he helped me, you know, get an education, one of the first people in my family to go to college. And, um, so I would say like, it was just, you know, encouraged at a very young age to listen and to be curious and to pay attention. And my mother would say, follow your intuition and, you know, and, and trust in that, um, And so it was a honing of that. Um, And I think I honestly, and I I, I kind of alluded to this already, I I suffered a lot of traumatic events in my life, and I felt like they had to mean something. And it just, it just really just hit me one day that it was it, it was about serving women. And I look back at all of the signs and all of the things that kind of culminated to where I'm at today. And it, it really has been about empowering women, um, and empowering the feminine and, um, you know, and, and learning, not just studying it in books, but feeling it on a, on a visceral level through my own experiences, um, and practicing the, the work that I teach. And, um, and now I can tell stories and I can say, I've been through this and I, I know, what that feels like. And I know how to help you find your way. And, um, so I think it, it was just kind of listening at, at that at such a deep level, um, and really tapping into that sense of curiosity and, and the creativity that comes, um, as a result of being really curious about the world. And it's wonderful to hear that you had the outside support through mom and dad actually to orient yourself towards curiosity. Like that was, that's a really key piece that you, your environment supported and, and encouraged that, right? Mm-hmm, absolutely. Um, but it's really funny because I grew up 
in the South, you know? And so while I was getting messages around that, I was also getting a lot of messages that like I had to be a certain way as a woman and like let the man take the lead. And so there were a lot of kind of actually conflicting pieces. And um, so a lot of what I do now, like my parents don't understand. And um, as much as they're like, we're so glad you're passionate about something. We're not sure what it is that you do. <laughs> you know, and on, and quite honestly, it probably goes against a lot of their belief systems um, because they're Trump voters and they're, you know, they're from they're from the country. And um, that's that's where I'm from. So overcoming a lot of that, I think, was part of my journey as well. Um, and then it gives me the opportunity to feel a lot of compassion for women who are still there or, or are actually coming out of that for themselves. Right. I love that you're speaking to that. I and, and maybe that's the answer if you're willing to to dive in a little more, or if there is more, mm-hmm. I'm curious to know what other adversity as a woman growing up in the South um, ended up in somehow, in some way, really helping make this happen. Yeah. Um, well, there was a lot. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And I, uh, I'm trying to think of a particular example. I think it's fun if we, if we talk in stories and, um, you know, um, the one, I guess the one, the one story that just comes to mind right now is, um, you know, I was, um, I was encouraged to go to school to educate myself, but I was also told, you know, don't be too loud, too outspoken, um, or too, um, confident. Don't, you know, don't get a big ego. Um, because then the boys might not like you. And, um, so it was, I was constantly like, you know, I was in, um, you know, straight A's and I was, um, in all the, you know, um, you know, uh, AP courses in high school and I went to a, a private university and, um, so super smart, but at the same time getting signals like, oh, but don't be too smart and don't be too, you know, excited and don't laugh too loud and don't, you know, um, but dress really pretty. So, you know, it was just like, I was so confused. And then, um, I, at, right after college, I, I moved out West and, um, I had never been further West in Tennessee and I moved to Los Angeles sight unseen, uh, with $800 in my pocket. I drove across the country, plopped myself down in LA and lived with a, a cousin I had never met who gave me a room in his house. Um, and try to start a fresh new life because I was craving it. And I was craving something different than what I'd grown up with. Um, and it was just, it was horribly like difficult for me um, moving into that more like progressive world. I, I literally felt like I'd grown up under a rock somehow. And um, yeah, and it took me a really long time. I didn't realize how depressed I was. Um, I didn't realize that I was coming out of a fog Um, And I just literally dove into a relationship with someone for five years. I ended up getting married and, um, and that relationship wasn't healthy. That relationship was, um, it was emotionally abusive and um, verbally abusive at times. And um, I felt really trapped and manipulated and controlled. Um, And so it, it really took all of my resources, um, to get out of that relationship, um, and to, 
kind of believe that there was something better for me out there. Um, so I think you know, there's just so much to overcome. And, and still today, like there's like there's belief systems that run through my head that I know are old and are no longer serving me um, that I have to that I have to catch myself with. And I have to say, that's not that's not you know, that's how, not how you work anymore. That might be what you were taught, but that's not how you, that's not how this works. Um, so yeah, there's mm. so much, so, so much. much. Right. <laughs> and, and I'm curious to know, we're about a year into this new presidential administration. I'm, I'm curious to know what that's been like the last year. Mm. You know, it's, um, it's funny you ask because this morning I was, actually having a really hard time with it. I went, um, I take my dogs for a walk every morning and I was listening to a podcast called the daily, which is the New York times kind of daily podcast. And they were talking about the, um, sexual abuse and harassment allegations that are, um, that, uh, that guy, I can't think of his name, but he's the Alabama congressman or he's running for the Alabama race. Roy Moore. Is that Roy right? Moore. Thank you. I knew it started with an R. <laughs> <laughs> And I just felt, I felt so sick that I wanted to turn off the podcast. And I, I told myself, you have to listen. Like, um, it's painful and it's exhausting. But you have to listen. You have to be educated, and you can't, you can't shut it down. And I, so, um, but why not? Right? Why not? Um, well, for me, is it's important to my work. It's important to hear the stories. It's important to be a part of the conversation. It's important to be educated, um, to hear what the other side is saying, to hear what, um, what the women who have gone through this are saying to be, to be in the know, because I'm a thought leader in this space. And if I'm going to lead other women, then I better be informed. Um, so while my tendency might be to shut down, um, there was a time where um, I'm a big supporter of Bradley Angle, which is a nonprofit, um, very popular in Portland, Oregon. Um, and they support uh, a domestic abuse and violence uh, victims. And there was a time where I, I couldn't go to their fundraisers, like I couldn't go to their luncheons, I because it would trigger me. Because um, as much as I as much as I love my father and as many amazing things as he did, he did abuse my mother in front of me um, growing up. And so that it's very close to home. And so it was really, it was really hard. But once I started going to those events, once I started opening myself up to those stories, like the one I heard today on the radio, um, it, there was almost a freedom in it um, for for me personally, um, there's a release. Um, and yeah, I like, I had to take a nap this, this afternoon after that walk, because <laughs> just listening to that episode on that podcast was draining for me. Um, I'm very empathic, um, very intuitive. Um, and just hearing a story can drain me. So I don't know. It's just, for me, it's a part of the work. It's a part of my calling. It's a part of what I have to do to do the work that I do. Um, our good friend, Andrea Lita, she said to me once, you can do the work for women who cannot, will not, or don't even know that they need to do the work. You can do the work for them. And I feel like that's my calling in life is to do the work for women who can't, won't, 
or don't even know that they need to. Um, so yeah, I have to listen to the episode. I have to, I have to go to the fundraisers. I have to get through those moments so I can, um, rise above it and be a leader for others. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And it makes total sense to me. I I appreciate that you can lay that out because I'm sure there could be women listening to this who, who maybe can't do that or aren't, aren't resourced enough at this point to be immersed and to hold on to themselves. Mm-hmm. And so another element to this that you're, you're exemplifying to me is that you can attune to yourself and know how to recharge and how to take care, mm-hmm. which I, my guess is in this world we're living in right now that we're all being affected by the sort of collective energy that is out there um, more than we might even be attuned to. Mm -hmm. So I I appreciate that you are practicing that and staying in the conversation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it isn't easy though, is it? Like it's, um, and that's why, that's why we have so many uninformed people out there um, saying ridiculous things like locker room talk is okay. Or, um, you know, let boys be boys. Those are ridiculous comments, and women say those things because they're they're shutting down. I think to the real conversation, or the pain of it, or the the fear, the overwhelm, um, the the feeling that you don't have control over the problem. Um, but I think we have to stay open to it, and it makes us feel vulnerable, and it makes us feel uncomfortable at times. Um, but it's important work. Otherwise, we, we become uninformed. We become numb. Um, and nothing changes. And one of the things, Jesse, that I'm really struggling with right now is I see, and I wrote a little bit about this today, and I, I'm not really like, I don't have the answers yet, but I'm, I'm definitely willing to have the discussion, is that I don't see a lot of women leaders out there having the kind of conversations I feel like we need to be having or showing up in the way that I think uh, women need to see other women show up as. And I don't feel like things like the Me Too movement or um, the stories that are coming out, I don't feel like that stuff is enough. And yet I don't know what is enough, but I'm, I'm like at the same time, that I have hope sometimes I have like these feelings of disappointment and fear and doubt and overwhelm. And I think we just have to, we have to open ourselves up to that and ask why, why isn't it enough? And why do I feel this way about this? You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. Really just being present to your Mm -hmm. inner experience. Um, and, And something that came to mind as you were saying that is perhaps part of overcoming oppression, which is very much what we're talking about in sexism, in my mind, is, mm-hmm. is consciousness. Mm-hmm. Consciousness is a real antidote to transforming cultural blind spots. And this is obviously much more than a blind spot, but I, I'm just using mm-hmm. that as shorthand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you're in the world <laughs> and you are, you're tapped in and you're, and you're plugged in and you are in touch with your why and perhaps in touch with a cultural why. What are you offering right now for other women that you're most excited to, 
to share about or, or might be even most relevant to our conversation right now? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I'm, I'm building a community and uh, I'm holding this vision for this community that women don't have to act like women or don't have to act like men to get ahead, that women can show up as their authentic selves. Um, they can ask for what they need, advocate for themselves. They can um, be in the room, use their voice, speak truth, stand in their integrity. They can do all of these things. And if it's a total shit show and they do, if they get, you know, they get reprimanded for it, they lose their job. Um, you know, something, something, an outcome happens that is not favorable. They will still be okay that they have the resources um, to navigate that. And um, they have permission to show up and do all of those things. And so, you know, I'm holding this vision for women and, and teaching them um, how to do that um, emotionally, spiritually, um, tactically, like literally like what do you say in these moments and how do you say it or how do you write the email, those kinds of things, like how do you, you negotiate your salary? That's one of the big things that I teach. Um, and as I hold this vision and be an anchor for this community, there's this kind of ripple out effect that's happening. So, um, one of the big things that we've done this year is we had our first annual superwoman summit, um, which was magical. Um, we had over 160 women and men come together to support the advancement of women leaders. And it was just this beautiful, powerful weekend. Uh, we'll be having our um, our second one next year, same same place, same time, October nineteenth through the twenty first in Portland. And that was so incredibly powerful that I'm still digesting what happened and processing it. But I can tell you that the ripple out effect from that is that we will be building superwoman societies across the country. So I'm looking for women ambassadors who want to lead their own community of women in their city and their state. Um, and then those women, um, I'm building these monthly calls where we will um, talk about the issues that are important to them and how to organize and how to lead. Um, and then on top of that, I have this core team of women that I call the Superwoman Coalition that I am building uh, to support the Superwoman Summit, the Superwoman Societies, and in again being kind of a convener for women to come together and under these ideals and these values that I talk about. I'm writing a book. I run a podcast, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm I'm actually I'm really excited. I'm kind of revamping my podcast for next year, where we're going to be doing these long form episodes um, with select people, which I'm really thrilled about that. Um, my book is going to be around a lot of um, stories from my life that exemplify um, like the values that I teach. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm working, like I said, on an online course. And I do a lot of public speaking. And I do some one-on-one uh, -on -one coaching here and there with select clients who um, really are invested in the work and, and want to to be a leader for other women. So... Yeah. And, and to be honest, Jesse, it's evolving. Like every day I wake up and I have an epiphany or uh, something unveils itself to me and I I tap into that and I, I start working in that direction. So that's where we're at today. 
<laughs> wow. Do you sleep? Um, yeah, like like little naps here and there. <laughs> <laughs> no, my my business is um my business is is uh it's one of the most important things to me. Um I don't think I'll have children. Um my partner and I have two dogs. We live in Seattle and we um my dog just growled. She's in in the room with me. Mm. Um <laughs> we have you know, we hike, we do we do some travel and stuff, but right now um I'm really focused on getting this all organized and um getting the message out there and growing the community and um it's it's for me it's 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 my why I wake why I wake up in the morning. <laughs> right. It's so interesting that you you've mentioned a conscious choice at this point not to have children and I'm twice in this interview, right? I think. Mm-hmm. And if you, if you were a man in a similar position, I'm guessing that wouldn't have come up. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm just I'm sort of making like a just kind mm-hmm. of a curiosity Absolutely. But, but I wonder if it you, wouldn't that's part up. of what you face too, right? Is like it is. Yeah, as a woman, the expectation, the the role, what it means. Yeah, there's no way, and I, I bring it up because there's no way I could do the work I do at the level that I do it if I had children. It would just be impossible. I wouldn't have. I would have no resources available because I'd be giving them all to my children, and so it is a choice. Um, and it does feel like my business is a child. It feels like a baby that I'm nurturing and it wakes me up in the middle of the night and it has needs and it has wants and it, it, um, needs to be nurtured and fed and, and, (laughs) you know, and, um, and it, I mean, it does consume me at times. Um, you know, and I, I don't think everybody's business has to consume them, but, um, I've I've recently learned that I I I'm not just building a business. It's like my model of doing work is um I don't see a lot of models for this work out there. Um and so I'm kind of re- creating this from scratch with n- not a lot of um not a lot of people to look up to and say, "Okay, this is how they did it." Um because I think the people that have done it, um, I look up to them and I go, I want to do it differently. And so, um, yeah, I guess I, I don't even know what to call it. It's not even like for me, it's not even necessarily maybe a business. It's like, um, um, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe you have a word. (laughs) (laughs) You can help me find a word. It's like this thing I'm growing that like, it's literally, I feel compelled to do. I can't not do it. And, my boyfriend, he's like, why don't you just take a break? You just had this huge event and it was super successful. You have so much to be proud of. Just take like a week or two off. And I can't even get myself to take a week or two off because I'm just so pumped with mm. energy around the whole thing that I'm like, okay, let's like, what's next? How do we build this? And I got people I got to connect with. And so mm. um, for me, it's like this, it's this constant um, movement between rest and play rest and play. And so my work feels like play to me and I just get to show up and play. And then the rest of the time I'm resting, I'm spending time with family and, um, you know, having some fun with friends and that sort of thing. Um, so I don't mind doing the work <laughs> cause it, cause it feels like play. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, <clears throat> okay. So there's a ton about that. I'm interested in, I, I want to ask you something. I'm really excited to ask you. Um, as somebody who 
as a man who has worked with a lot of men over the years and has led men's groups and mm-hmm. is a part of men's groups and it has, you know, I have the privilege and, and really blessing of being connected to many men who I determined to be, um, have a really healthy masculine, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering where the place is for men in this vision of yours. Um, mm-hmm. Specifically, how can men support your mission? Mm, I love that question. Um, there is definitely a place for men. Um, in fact, I had men speaking at the Superwoman Summit. I had men attending. Um, so this isn't, you know, yes, I, I, my mission's put women in power because I think we'll all be better for it. Um, but we need to teach men how to be um, in their their masculine, but also in their feminine and how to have that balance and that it's okay and that it's necessary um, to bring the feminine into play, um, that they will be healthier and happier and more whole if they do. Um, you know, when I think about my partner, so I, I after I got divorced, I... Um, dated a lot and went on a bunch of dates, like online dating. And I started to notice that I could tell when a man was like in his masculine and in a healthy way. Um, and when he really truly embodied some more feminine things, um, principles and stuff, I felt more safe. And so when I met my, my partner, Craig, um, he does that in such a beautiful way. And it does make me feel like hopeful to see, and he's one of very few men I feel like I run into, except for the gentlemen that I invited to the Superwoman Summit that really hold the masculine and the feminine in a really powerful way and know when to draw from um, from either one, you know, when when it's needed. And, um, and I think that's the same for women. Like we, it can't be all the feminine. It has to be the balance of the two, right? Um, I believe that, yeah. Yeah, so... There's that, but then we also need men advocating for women. Um, we need men out there um, helping women uh, find their pathways to leadership, helping women, you know, being mentors and sponsors, um, promoting women, helping women negotiate opportunities, um, inviting them into the conversations. Um, we need men to respect women and to um you know, not hold their power, wield their power over a woman, um, to stop inviting sex into the workplace. There's, there's just, sex does not belong in the workplace. Um, as we can see with the movement going on right now. Um, so I think it, I I mean, men have to be a part of it. They have to be a part of it. Um, so what, let me challenge you a little bit. mm -hmm. And, And this is really, you know, everything you're saying I'm hundred percent on board with. And I'm also thinking of like, okay, so the man who can hear that mm-hmm. and much like I think I am and saying, okay, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm good with that. I'm good with that. I'm good with that. Mm-hmm. That's, that's great. That's easy. Right. So, or easier, let's say, what about this obvious like masculine energy that's coming forth in the last year that is, is very much not receptive to that. Um, Mm -hmm. Now I get it. Like there's a percentage of people that no matter what our mission is, we're never going to reach and it's never going to resonate. And that's, that's a basic truth. That's okay. Probably. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So 
what about the man who's a little bit in between? Like he might be receptive, but he's really hurting. And he really doesn't know, he really doesn't know what the first step is in terms of where he belongs and how he can contribute and how he can feel like a man um, and mm. contribute to an evolving, um, yeah, an evolving landscape of equality and mutuality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally, um, I get that. So <laughs> it's funny. I love that you're asking this question. So my, one of my best friends, she came to me the other day and she said, I have a secret. I was like, what's your secret? She said, um, I'm not a feminist and I've been terrified to tell you that. And I was like, what do you mean you're not, not a feminist? And she said, well, she has two young boys. And she said, um, well, my sons, like, I want to raise them to open the door for women and to be like kind and gentlemanly and, um, you know, to hold, to hold the door and to, you know, pull the chair out. And I said, well, you can be a feminist and believe in that. Yeah. I do. I do. Like I let my partner open the door and I let him carry the heavy stuff. And, um, I let him, you know, be a man when it's appropriate and in appropriate ways. And so I think, um, to your question, um, to the men who are open to it, but not sure how, um, I think, and I do think Jesse, that that's an epidemic right now. I think that, um, as a, as a woman who was dating for a really long time, men don't know how to let women be strong, powerful, and independent, but also, um, treat them with the respect and kindness and love and generosity and, um, cherish them like, like a woman wants to be cherished. Yeah. Um, they don't know how to do both. They're kind of like, well, it's either, or either I let her be independent and powerful and strong and she does everything herself or, <laughs> you know, I do it all and I'm the strong, powerful man. And it, it, it doesn't have to be either, or it can be both. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would say to that man, um, you know, tap into when it feels right, when it feels right to be a kind, generous, uh, partner or, or friend or colleague, and when it feel, doesn't feel right. Um, and I think if you can kind of tune into that, you'll, you'll, you'll know the difference. And um, I, I also think, I think you're right that men are hurting. Um, I do a lot of work with, you know, workplace, corporate, um, career, leadership. So it's, you know, very kind of business side of things. And so many men are, are unhappy with the way things are. Um, but they don't necessarily know why. And my theory is that they aren't able to tap into, or haven't been given permission to tap into their more feminine side. So the feminine principles of receptivity and creativity and compassion and kindness and, and gratitude and, um, innovation and, um, you know, um, empathy, um, these things that are more thought of as these feminine traits, men need to know that that's important and that that's valued and they can bring that in, um, and they can soften the edges a little bit. And that doesn't make them any less competitive. I'd argue it makes them more competitive because if you look at the research right now, that's coming out of, um, you know, studies that are coming from place like places like PricewaterhouseCoopers, um, studies on S&P 500 CEOs, 
are coming out and they're saying, we're afraid we're not going to be able to find top talent um, to support the roles we need to fill in our organizations. And the, the kind of skills that they're looking for are skills that are traditionally more feminine traits like empathy and innovation and creativity and receptivity and a willingness to evolve and grow. And um, so I think men need to recognize that it's valuable. It does make them more competitive in the marketplace. Um, and if they can invite that in, there's could be this more, I think this more collaborative work environment. Um, and also in their partnerships with women outside of work, that sense of collaboration and not this either or. Am I making sense? <laughs> yes, to me, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I really appreciate all of that. I think the the theme at the bottom of that that I'm hearing is that the actions are important, but what drives the actions determines um, the energy of the dynamic. So where, where a man is coming from is much more important than... Um, the act of holding a door. The act of holding a door could be extremely offensive if it comes mm-hmm. if it comes from a place of um, you're not capable or I or now you owe me something. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I know I've worked with many women who have this transactional experience of dating. Mm-hmm. Um, like, oh my gosh, there's so much stress. Is he going to pay for dinner now? Do I owe him sex? And I think it's when the, in the men and the men I've worked with so much more important that they get in tune. Sort of what you're saying is if you can tune in, then you can decide where you're coming from. And if where you're coming from is a place of, of mutual respect uh, for the other, then the actions become an expression of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And if you can't tune in, then it's time to get to work. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. Yes, it's time to get to work, right? Yeah. I mean, um, you know, I I didn't get to where I am by, you know, sitting around watching TV every day. I've done so much work on myself right. and invested thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars at this point in myself. Um, you know, read the books and listened, listened to the podcast and hired the coaches and had the conversations um, to continue to push my my understanding of of the world around me to new heights and um and i think we need more people to do that um to instead say you know i don't i don't know then just to, to figure out okay well what's the question that i need to ask what question am i not asking in this situation that i could that could help me kind of uncover what the problem is um yeah. Okay. So let's shift gears. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So in all the work you're doing, which it is diverse and <laughs> and uh, massive, what give us an example of a really inspiring result you've seen? Mm. Um, well, you know, most recently with the Superwoman Summit, um, I had women coming up to me telling me it was life changing um, that you know, one woman wrote me an email the other day and she said, this is my plea to you to never stop doing what you're doing. You've made such a difference in my life. Um, please, please don't stop this. And, um, you know, that, that to me, I mean, just to hear those, that kind of feedback. Um, but what I see is women's like tangibly, what I see is women, 
um, seeing possibilities where they didn't see any previously. So like women who were like, I don't know how I'm going to have a job that I love, use all my greatest strengths and talents at work and have a family. Like, how can I have all of that? And I see once women start to tap into their intuition, they start to get creative. They start to believe in abundance. um, They start to live from a, a sense of possibility um, they start to see things they didn't see before and they create, they kind of co-create their world with, with, um, you know, the universe around them. Um, and I see them building lives that, that make them happier. Um, I see them having relationships that make them happier and jobs, um, where they feel happy to do the work and, and, they feel calmer, they feel less stressed, um, they feel less alone, they feel empowered. Um, because when we are in that kind of lower state of mind, that's more scarcity driven, we can't access those possibilities and we can't tap into our creative mind. And so we can't see it. So you got to get, I see women getting out of their own way, I guess, and, and really tapping into what's possible. Okay, so for the woman who's listening to this now, mm-hmm. who is feeling a little scarcity, mm-hmm. what what's an encouraging thing that you can that you would say? Mm. Um, I've been there, and for me, it's a practice to stay in an abundant mindset, and the scarce scarcity mindset, the thoughts that come that are fearful and doubtful and um, those thoughts that say resources are limited and opportunities are scarce. Those thoughts, they're going to come no matter where you're at. You just have to learn how to turn them off. You have to learn how to choose your thoughts. You have to learn how to believe in, in a more abundant mindset. And it's, it's absolutely possible. Like it's, I've been, I've been in, you know, I used to sleep on the floor when I first moved to Portland, Oregon, I was sleeping on the floor of an apartment. Um, I didn't have any furniture. I was living off cardboard boxes and I couldn't afford (laughs) to eat. Um, I was at my rock bottom getting divorced at the height of the recession and no one would hire me. Mm. And I used everything I'm talking about in today's episode to pull myself out of that situation. And it worked. And so I can speak from experience that while my situation might be different from her situation, while my situation might be less intense or more intense, it doesn't matter. The feelings are the same. And I've totally felt the fear, the doubt, the shame, the overwhelm. And you can get yourself out of it. Um, There's tons of resources and tools available um, to create the life you really want. Mm, beautiful. Is there any particular project that you haven't had a chance to speak about yet? Yeah, everybody can connect with me at superwomanproject.com. I always say all roads, all superwoman roads lead to me. Um, <laughs> so superwomansummit.com is our annual event. Superwomansociety.com are our quarterly events that we're going to be having in more cities around the country. So if women are interested in starting their own superwoman societies, definitely reach out to me by going to superwomansociety.com. Um, 
And then Superwoman Chronicles is my podcast, which we just published our 85th episode today. And we are um, moving into some changes for season three. So you know, keep your eye out for that. Um, and then I publish a weekly newsletter where I write a weekly article. Um, and I dedicate a lot of time to that article every week. And it's basically my way of keeping the conversation going. So if that interests you, definitely go to superwomanproject.com and sign up for my weekly newsletter. Wow. Thanks, Jessica. I so appreciate your coming on. It's a real honor for me to support what you're doing, um, not only as a woman, but for women everywhere. Thank you, Jesse. I really appreciate it. To learn more about Jessica's work, check out the links in the production notes. Today's final question, as is my budding tradition, is for you, the listener. Who is a woman in your life that you might underestimate? How might you support her today, expecting nothing in return? Want to learn more about the world of supergivers? To find out more, head over to supergivers.com. If you'd like to be a guest on this show, click on the podcast link and send in an application. That's all for today. Thanks for listening and maybe even subscribing to the Supergivers podcast, where we celebrate ordinary people creating extraordinary impact in the world. I'm your host, Jesse Johnson, and I hope you'll tune in next time.